we're continuing a series called We're on a Mission. Say, We're on a Mission. And uh, this, is the, the con- this is the finale today, all right? This is the culmination message. And I'll just recap a little bit, but in this series, we've been talking about the mission that Jesus gave to his church to fulfill, or that Jesus formed his church to fulfill. In Matthew chapter 28, there's a passage of scripture that, uh, that, that says what, what Jesus told his disciples right before he physically ascended into heaven and left the earth. And he said, uh, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. We call this the Great Commission. It's the mission that Jesus formed his church for, that Jesus gave to his disciples. And through this series, we've looked at this from a couple different angles. We talked about the characteristics of mission, that every mission has a point, every mission has a process, every mission has a price. The point of our mission is to, to make disciples, meaning to help people find and follow Jesus, to help people connect with Jesus and start a relationship with Him. Uh, that's the point of our mission. That's what Jesus told us to do. The process of our mission is intentional relationship. And I'm going to talk more about that today, that we intentionally connect with people to help them connect with God. But there's a price in every mission, and the price of our mission is that we have to lay our lives down. Uh, we, we give, we sacrifice, we give up our time, we give up our, our money, we give up our emotional energy, our mental energy, even let people into our houses. Uh, we, we invest in people intentionally. There's a price to be paid. We talked about a few weeks ago that we have to know the difference between God's job. God's job is to love the world. What's our job? Our job is to love our neighbor. So we're supposed to connect with not everybody, but connect with somebody, right? Our job is to love somebody. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say, for Brian so loved the world that he gave. No, it says God so loved the world. It's God's job to love the world. Sometimes we get so, oh, I have to try to save the city of Eugene. No, you don't. You just need to, to love your neighbor, the person that lives next to you, or, or talk to that guy at work, or talk to that girl at school, or whatever that looks like in your context. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So God's job to love the world, my job to love my neighbor. And then we talked last week about Jesus impacting real people that were at work. His first disciples, Peter and Andrew and James and John, that Jesus did this miracle and he he told them to cast their nets in, right? And they caught fish and they had this revelation of Jesus and that they were so impacted and so moved by the person of Jesus and by the words of Jesus that they literally left full nets and and sinking boats of fish. This was what they had lived for. This was like the, the day of all days in their career as fishermen that they were willing to literally leave that on the shore and walk away because they saw Jesus. And the point of that message last week was this, that when you see Jesus, you'll do anything. When you get a clear revelation, you see Jesus Christ, and maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus, this is a wonderful day to get to know Jesus. Because when you see Jesus, everything changes. And and not only do you change, uh, we, we oftentimes think, well, when I become a Christian, that means I just need to start living the right way. That's actually backwards. When you become a Christian, the life of God will come into you and you will begin to be changed from the inside out. The gospel is not about behavioral modification. It's about soul transformation, right? And so when you see Jesus, when you, when you get connected with him, you will go on mission and it won't be this like awkward, oh, I have to go tell people about Jesus and if I don't, I'll go to hell. No, that's not what it is. It's that you're so in love with him that you can't help but, but share. You cannot help but, but talk to people. So that's a little bit of a recap of where we've gone in the series. But as we finish up today, I believe this message is, is incredibly important. And I want to talk about the reality that we are better together. 
that there's a power in the unity of the, the people of God, that this mission that Jesus gave us is not this solo project, right? The mission of making disciples was given to a group, was given to a community. It was not given to, to us as individuals. Now, it was given to us as individuals in the sense that as an individual, I receive it, I have to believe it, I have to accept it. But it's not meant to be lived out like Rambo, right? It's meant to be lived out in a team. It's more like Band of Brothers, right? Uh, the Great Commission, the mission of Jesus, the mission that he, he formed his church for is not like golf. It's more like football or baseball. It's a team sport. Say team. team. And there's a power when we are together in community. Now, I want you to think about this. Oftentimes, the intimidation factor that comes in when we say as a believer, I'm, I'm on a mission, I'm, I'm on mission to, as I'm doing what I do, uh, to make disciples, it's very intimidating oftentimes that, because we feel very alone. Oh, it's all on me. Well, it's not. It's on us, right? And there's this principle of deferred weight, right? A, a heavy weight. That's why people can lay on a bed of nails. You ever seen that? Like a magician? When I was a kid, I was just blown away by that. Like, oh my gosh, what's going on? They're going to get punctured and they lay on this bed of nails. And what's happening is the weight is being distributed across all these points, right? And so a lot of people together can handle a heavy burden. The mission of Jesus is not meant to be carried by you. It's meant to be carried by us. Okay, so this is a, a shift that we need to go, uh, to go through. And I'm going to talk about this today, that we're on a mission together. Have you heard the, the phrase, many hands make light work? This is my life message, I think, right? If I can recruit other people to help me do something, I don't have to do as much, right? I like that that phrase that says, work smarter, not harder. I think I maybe was a little lazy. That's why I like that so much. But uh, how many of you have ever moved, like, your house? How many of you love moving? Like, is this your favorite thing to do? You're like, man, I got a free weekend. I'm just going to go move. Justin Blotney, yeah, he's the only one. Well, Bethany and I and our family, we recently moved, and I was, like, cursing the prosperity that God has blessed us with because I'm like, oh, God, he's given us so much nice, heavy stuff. And I was really wanting to take that vow of poverty in that moment. But you know what? We put out a message and we said, hey, we're going to be moving. There could be pizza. Please come. And we were so blessed because many, even of you here, but a lot of people came and many hands made light work. And, I, and one guy in particular, John, he's like, give me the heaviest thing. You know, I'm, I'm walking up to try to carry a hutch and he's like, I want to carry it. I'm like, John, you're going to die. I don't care. And he, you know, many hands make light work. Think about moving, you want people there. That's like when you call in all your chips. Hey, remember when I helped you move 19 years ago? Please come, right? Better together. You see what I'm talking about? Imagine if you were going to go play football, and so you, know, you go out there and, and, and you're trying out for the team, and they're like, okay, you're the team, so you go out there, and then 11 other guys are running at you to take you down. That's, you don't want to play that game. That's how the beavers feel when they play the ducks. <laughs> Sorry, Jared. Yeah. We're all alone out here. No, you're just poor and weak. Okay, but anyways. Help them, Lord. Help those beavers up there find you and come to know you. Okay. So many hands make light work. The Great Commission, the mission that Jesus gave us is not meant to be you out there on the field all by yourself with 50,000 spectators watching you get smeared by a, a, a team. We are in this together. We're in this together, and we're better together. We're on mission together. That's why this series is called We're 
on a mission. Not I'm on a mission. And I'm going to talk about why in our culture we oftentimes take what the Bible says about the mission of Jesus and we, we bring it into an individualistic perspective that says it's all on me, it rises and falls on me, and it's not what Jesus intended, okay? So I want to talk about relationship this morning, and I want to say something that might actually start off and be a little bit provocative, but I'm going to support it with the scripture, so hopefully we'll be theologically accurate here. Did you know that God is not enough for you? Did you know that, thank you, that was a good intake of breath. (laughs) Did you know that, that it's not enough just to have a relationship with God? You know, I grew up and we'd sing songs like, all I need is you, right? It's like young, young people, they say, all we need is love. No, you need rent, too. <laughs> but I, I remember you know, singing songs growing up, all I need is you, Lord, is you, Lord. And there was all these songs, and it was about me and Jesus, Jesus and I, and you know, we're, we're, it just my love for him, and, and, if, and if I just am connected to Jesus, and, and, and thinking like, all I need is God. I don't need you, I don't need you. All I need is God, and, and this person's a jerk, and you're rude, but all I need is God, and if I've got God, and... You know what I'm talking about? Do you know that's actually not really biblical? Right in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, God himself said, God himself said, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, the context of this statement by God himself is this. He created Adam, and God and Adam had a bromance going on. Like, they were tight-knit. They were talking and walking together. I mean, they were connected in relationship. God had made Adam in his image. And here's Adam and God sees him and says it's not good for him to be alone. Now all the wives know this is true, right? My wife, I have to repent of all the things I've done when she gets back. You know, I ate like 19 cookies and ice cream and, you know, I made myself a microwave chicken sandwich. It was just a disaster. All my my discipline went out the window and I stayed up way too late and watched too much TV. Like I'm just like a nine-year-old child when she's gone. So women, we, they're like, we know that it's not good for man to be alone, right? God and ladies are on the same page. But God said it's not good for man to be alone. So he created Eve. He created the woman and he said, a man shall, be, shall, shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. God said, it's not just enough to have relationship with me. It's also, there's a need inside of us as human beings that God even put there a deep intrinsic human need to not just be connected with God, but to be connected also with one another. So when we talk about the fall and what sin costs, not only does it cost us our relationship with God, but it also damages and destroys our relationships with one another. That's why sin, it just leads to more and more and more brokenness. When you pursue sin, when you pursue doing what you think will will satisfy you, but it, it will not just break your relationship with God, it breaks your relationship with others. How many of you would say, I've seen this in my life? But it's not enough for us just to be connected with God. God created within us this hunger, this deep need to be connected to Him and to other people. And it's along these lines, this line of relationship that the gospel, the message of Jesus, the mission to make disciples, to tell people about Christ, to connect them with Him, it's along these deep lines of relationship that the gospel travels. Relationship is the bridge of truth. There's a a saying that goes like this, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And how many of you would say that for somebody to get through to you, they have to, there has to be a relational connection? We talked about this last week that many times, you know, you see people on the street corner and they've got a sign telling you to return or burn and that, that doesn't really do it for me. You know what I mean? 
Just, maybe the message is true, but if there's not a relationship, there's no bridge for that, that truth to cross. And so relationship is so very important. And Jesus affirmed this when he, he was asked, what are the great commandments or what's the great commandment in the law? He said, well, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And all the people are like, yeah, we get that. Love God. You are all I need. I just have a relationship with God. And Jesus said, hold on. There's a second commandment that's just as important. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus said God's idea about the perfect relational system is human beings in relationship vertically with God, but also in good relationship horizontally with one another. All right? God's not enough. Now, He is enough. If you're on a desert island or something, you know, and you just have God, you can draw on your volleyball and be okay. You know? <laughs> Wilson! Yeah. But, but we're designed to connect with God and with each other. Love God, love people. Jesus affirmed this. Now, as we talk about the mission and being better together in community, I'm just saying all these things to kind of shape our thinking and push us in this direction. But, you know, we, as the community of Jesus, are supposed to be the living picture of what God intends for for relationship to look like between Him and with each other. Jesus said this in John chapter 13, verse 34. He said, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Say, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus said, the mark of my followers, the mark of my community, will not be how much they love God. You know, we've got it wrong a lot of times as church people, don't we? We say, well, people will see how much I love God, and they'll know that I'm a Christian. No, they will not. Jesus said, the way the world will know you are my followers, will know you are my disciples. The way the world will know how to, who, who to listen to is not... For your, because of your love for God, it will be your love for one another. It will be the love that goes out from God that's received from Him and goes out through you to one another. That's how people will see. So we are a living representation, or we should be, of what God intends for a relationship. We are the community of the gospel. We are the community where Christ's message is lived out. It's put into play. It's put into practice. This is why I'm challenging you to be part of a joy group because we're going to break down this mindset of me and God, me and God, me and God. No, it's us and God. It's us together on mission. We are the community of the gospel. And did you know that even our imperfections and failures point people to the truth of the gospel? One of the things that you'll hear oftentimes is that I don't go to church because Christians are hypocrites. That is both a positive and a negative reality because the truth is that's absolutely true right? How many of you are absolutely perfect and you've reached the full measure of perfection as a follower of Jesus, other than Justin in the back? Because that's true, right? But, right. but everybody else, no, we're, we're basically missing the mark continually, even as followers of Jesus. How many of you have been a follower of Jesus for more than five years, but you still miss the mark? Okay. Come on, get with the picture. What's wrong with you? No. <laughs> of course you do. Why? Because the gospel says you're broken. So it makes sense that even as followers of Jesus... now. I'm not saying that gives us this license to just sin. No, I'm not saying that. But we understand that on, in relationship with Christ, He's transforming us from the inside out. But even our imperfections points us to the necessity of the gospel message. That we are a broken people that are being brought together and made new and restored. That God is doing something. The fact that the church even exists after 2,000 years is a testament to how powerful and true the gospel is. Jesus gave his message to 12 morons, just like you and me, and he left, and it's still here. 
Of course there's a God. How could, it, how could, it not, how could there not be a God? How would the, the, the church even still exist with all the dumb stuff we've done? Even our imperfections point to the truth of the gospel. And if we have a humility about this, then we can say, you, you know what, you've seen that there's hypocrisy and failure. That just says that we need Jesus. I still need Jesus today. But so do you, right? So do you. Church is not a place of people, of where people are at that Jesus needs. It's a place where people know that they need Jesus, right? Paul, the apostle, was writing a letter to the church in Corinth in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. He said, the only letter of recommendation we need is you, is you your, yourselves. He's talking to this church there. He says, your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ, showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. Paul said, you are a living letter. We together in community are a living letter of the reality of God and the power of the gospel of Jesus the, the greatest gospel message that we have is not our words. It's our example lived out in community. When people see the people of Joy Church living together in community that's honoring Christ and loving each other, they're going to say, that's not how it works out there. There's something different here. But we oftentimes make this an individual thing. Well, people will see my life, my example, and they'll know that I love Jesus. No, they won't. Let me just tell you, out in the city streets, I don't look that much different from probably the guy who's an atheist. Sometimes the atheist might be nicer right, than me. Do you ever get grumpy with the people who are helping you check out at the thing or the guy who keeps spilling gas on your car or whatever, you know what I mean? You ever not represent Christ really well? Well, the beauty of this is it's not all on you. It didn't say you are to be this perfect example of what it means. No, it's us in our community, imperfect people who are being transformed by God, loving each other. That is the, the, that is the gospel message. It's incarnated in us. It's brought into life. It's a living picture. Paul said, you're a living letter. All of us together in community, we represent the gospel to our community, to the people around us. So here's the big thought for the day. If you don't get anything else from the message today, get this. We, we have that up there, we is greater than me. We is more powerful than me. Now, I know that grammatically that maybe doesn't work perfectly and it might bug some of the OCD people like me. But uh, we is greater than me. If you don't get anything else out of today, get, get that, that it's, it's, it's we. It's the power of us. We're better together. You all right? So in Matthew 28, as we've already said, Jesus gave this command to go into all the world and make disciples to a group, to a community. And Jesus' disciples... When he ascended into heaven, they formed this community. And the book of Acts gives us this vibrant picture of this incredible church community that was sharing their possessions and loving each other and living as a, a, a living letter or a representation of the message of Jesus. And that picture is something that, that church, that, that model is something that we want to get back to, right? But oftentimes in our Western culture, in our North American sort of individualistic culture, we, we live out Christianity, or we have this form of Christianity that Jesus' followers in the book of Acts, right there in the first century, 2,000 years ago, they wouldn't recognize, okay? We, we've made it this very, what I call, individualistic observer type of a Christian culture, and I'll explain that. 
But to get back to that kind of community that we see, the, the community that Jesus' disciples, who had this potent understanding of the mission that Jesus had entrusted to them, that they were living out, to get to, back to that, we have to break down what I have seen are two what I call lies, okay? You know, if you believe a lie, you're going to be built on, what you do from that is going to be built on the wrong foundation, right? So the first lie we have to overcome is that me and God syndrome. Talked about that a little bit, right? All I need is you, that my Christianity, my faith is only about me and God, right? That my Christianity is only about me and God. Uh, I remember growing up on, uh, in Medford, and I went to Grace Christian School for a couple of years, and uh, I would always come up to this teacher, I think her name was Mrs. Jones or something, I don't know, but I don't remember her name. But anyways, I remember her face. She had a really nice perm. Anyways, <laughs> I'd come up to her, Mrs. Garrett, that was her name. Mrs. Garrett, Mrs. Garrett, me and Ethan were playing, and she'd say, is Ethan mean? <laughs> Ethan and I... So I purposely put that in there just to bug my teacher. Okay, me and God mindset. Me and God mindset. All I need is you. Uh, I, I'm just an, it, it creates this individualistic thing. It says that maturity in Christianity is to go lock yourself in a closet and read your Bible for six hours. Maturity as a Christian is to go into your, you know, we call it a prayer closet. I don't know any Christians that pray in a closet. Please don't do that. But uh, it would be weird to just be in the closet and somebody opens it up and you're like, in there. But, you know, it's you going to your quiet place and you're just there and you've ascended the mountain of God and you are now growing spiritually and you're all by yourself and Jesus is going, ugh, you don't get it, do you? That quiet time is for you to get recharged so you can go out and be a Christian with real people. Maturity is not all by yourself in a closet because you know who you get along with the very best in life? Yourself. I love myself. I think everything I think is right, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm an expert on my own opinion. You know what I mean? And I always agree with myself. Anybody in the same boat? You know who I have a hard time working it out with is other people, right? So mature Christians are not those who have locked themselves in a closet all by themselves. You do that. Yeah, you, you do grow in God by yourself. And I'm not discounting devotions. That's an important thing. We're gonna, we'll talk about that more in the church, but... Maturity is not this individual thing, this is just me and God. And if that lie is in your head, that all I need is God, I don't need other people, then you're, you're going to not, first you're not going to grow, you're not going to get very mature, and then you're also just going to be ineffective as a Christian. You're going to be cut off from all the relationships with people that don't know Christ. You're going to be cut off from other believers to help you go through what you need to go through. We need each other, right? The lie number two is, this idea that there are professional Christians. And I'm sure many of you maybe think that's what I am. You know, well, here's our Pastor Jake, and, you know, he, he's the one doing the work of the ministry, and he's out there building the church, and we come and cheer him on or, or whatever. And let me just tell you right now, please don't think that. I am not that, okay? But we have this idea of a professional Christian that we have these people that are superhero pastors and superhero teachers, and they're leaders, and they're, they can do the work of the ministry, and the rest of us sort of, cheer them on and give them the offering and maybe serve in nursery, but we don't really do the work of the ministry. We just sort of help the leaders do it. And I just want to tell you, that is, that is not the reality. That is not the reality of the gospel. And these two lies, they create this individualistic observer Christian, which means this. It's a person who sees their faith primarily through the lens of their own individual knowledge. 
how much do I know? That's the mark of my maturity. And their own moral purity. So how holy am I? I haven't sinned in two weeks. Therefore, I'm, I'm, I'm mature. I haven't, I haven't lusted or you know, danced inappropriately in, in three days. You know? So I, I haven't smoked a doobie. You know? I, mean, I, haven't, I, haven't, uh, I haven't done anything wrong in three weeks. So I'm mature. Uh, you know, I, I, and I know a lot about the Bible. You know, and, and you'll hear people say, well, like, I, would, I would totally serve, but I, I don't think I'm ready because I don't know what I would say. So what, they, what that's showing is that they think that maturity is about what you know. Okay? And this individualistic observer Christian, they observe, they're observing other people who they see as more qualified or able or who have the time to do the work of the ministry. And so you'll hear people say things like this, well, I go to church on Sunday, but then I have my real life. And this is never what Jesus intended. Jesus never intended church to be about Sunday mornings. Church is so we get connected to each other, we worship God, we gather, we get reminded of our mission, and we go out and are the church during the week. But even that is a little bit missing the mark because it's not all of us all by ourselves. It's us together out in the world, staying in community. But an individualist, individualistic observer Christian. Do you kind of see what I'm, what I'm showing you here? That this is an anti-biblical lifestyle. Anti-biblical. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 22 how we love our neighbor is as important as how we love God. Jesus said it very clearly. I mean, if you go and even read it in the Greek, which I can't do, but I have software that helps me do that. You know, I go in and look at it, and when you look at it, even in the original language, it says it's as important how you love God. It's just as important how you love your neighbor, and even it gives the sense that we actually love God more by loving other people. So Jesus broke down this individual, me and God kind of mindset. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, Scripture says in verse 11, Paul's describing how the church should function. He says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. This is what, what I would fall into. I'm a person who's felt the Lord called me into ministry to be a, 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 a pastor, a, a minister of the gospel. But, but listen what, what Paul says, and this will break down this observer mentality. The responsibility of those fivefold, the pastor, apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, is to equip God's people. Now, how many of you would say, I'm a God's person, I'm a God people, I'm a God, yeah, however that works, right? You're God's people, right? Put, put your finger like this. Say, I'm, I'm part of God's people. Do it. Come on, Brian. Thank you. All right. The, the responsibility of the first category, the fivefold, these ministers, is not to go out and preach the best message that they can. To go out and, and you know, lead a crusade and, and be the, the folk. No, their responsibility is to equip God's people, which is us together, to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So it's not me and God all by myself. No, it's us together. And it's not me watching a professional Christian do the work of the ministry. You are called to do the work of the ministry. If you are a child of God, if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ, you are called to do the work of the ministry, not watch somebody else. Your job is to bug me to help equip you to do the work of the ministry more effectively. You should be pressing me, Jake, we need, a, we need a series on this XYZ because I need to know XYZ to help me do what I'm called to do, right? You should be bugging me all the time. Help me equip me. What's a book to read? What's this? Make me do my job, right? Don't let me get fat and lazy. I don't play golf, but you know, don't let me play golf. Bug me to help equip you because that's what I'm here to do. 
right? This is what Paul said. This is the, the template of ministry. God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, I want to say something here. The mark of maturity is people who are engaged in the work of the ministry, not people who have a lot of head knowledge and watch somebody else do it. And yet, the model that we've tried to build a lot of times in the North American churches, we say, well, you know, you're too busy. You just come to church one hour a week and then have your real life. No, that's not what Jesus intended. He gave his mission to a group. His church is meant to be activated and engaged. All of us together on mission, not a professional pastor, a professional teacher, not that. The professional Christian or that, that leader, their job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. Yeah? So we need to make this transition from individualistic observers to this, communal participants. I'm not alone spectating. I'm together and I'm playing the game. I'm not alone in a closet, right, by myself, six hours a day or whatever, thinking that I'm growing in maturity and watching somebody else preach a message and watching somebody else lead a group and watching somebody else serve in nursery and watching somebody else witness to the person at Dutch Brothers and watching someone else. Come on, I'm preaching right where we live. But I'm in community. I'm connected. I'm with my brothers and sisters, which is hard sometimes, isn't it? Because they see your flaws and you see theirs. You find out that person's breath smells bad. You know what I mean? This guy doesn't know how to raise his kids. And you figure it out, right, that we're all broken people. And it's hard to be in community. But, you know, we're not individualistic observers. We're communal participants. We're not spectating. We're in the game. Get in the game, right? I always have these sort of fantasies that I'd be in the stands one day and Coach Helfrich would look up and see me. <laughs> Jake. Yeah. We need you. Ah! Here's the water. Carry it out to the team. Okay, yeah. <laughs> So get in the game, communal participants. Let me leave you with a couple takeaways, all right? Number one, make a commitment to community. Make a commitment to community. Join a joy group. Go out after service and sign up for one. Even if you know you're not going to go every week, just do it. Just take a step of faith. So you know what? I'm not going to be an individual. I'm not going to be uh, locked in my prayer closet up by myself. I'm going to go and get into community Start living out the gospel together. You know, when we get our groups together and we're meeting, we're going to talk about this. This is even just going to come out organically. How can we reach people that don't know Christ? And we is greater than me. Together, we're going to have better ideas and a better strategy and more effectiveness to reach lost people, to reach people that don't know Christ. Make a commitment to community. Number two, measure maturity by application, not information. Measure maturity by application, not information. Spiritual maturity is gained through ministry. Depth is in the doing. We grow the most when we're serving, when we're loving, when we're giving in the context of relationship. You know, knowledge without application, it leads to spiritual deception. Leads to spiritual deception. James was the brother of Jesus. He said, don't listen, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. Lord Jesus, help us not just read your word and look at what it says and walk away and do nothing. Do you see where the deception is there? 
It's that I read the Bible and I see Jesus tell me to go on mission and, I, and I just, I'm so locked into a paradigm of watching somebody else do the work of the ministry that I read it and I get the knowledge and I get one, another layer and I read it again and I read it again and I think I'm growing, I think I'm mature because I know it, I know it, I know it and I never do it. And James says, you're just fooling yourself. Real maturity is in actually putting the play into action. Real maturity is saying, I read the scripture that says, go out and make disciples, and maybe I'm going to do a terrible job, but I'm going to put it into play. I will grow and even grow in knowledge when I go out and I put it into play. Don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer, James says. You're only fooling yourself if you just read it and you don't put it into action. Pastor Andy Stanley has this great quote. He says, knowledge alone makes Christians haughty, makes us proud, makes us arrogant. We know more than them. They're lost people. They don't know God's ways. God's word. Of course they don't. Right? They need to know, hey, don't you be cussing. This is a person who doesn't know Jesus. Why are you telling them that? You know what I mean? I know. That's not right. Well, good for you. So knowledge alone makes us very haughty, but application makes us holy. Mature Christians are the ones that will take what God has given them. Do you know there's Christians in China that literally get one page of a Bible and that's all they have? And they'll weep and cry to get one page of God's Word and our Bibles sit dusty because we're bored, because we know it. Well, I read that. I already know it. When you put it into play, let me tell you, the Bible will come alive to you. You'll be like, what do I say to this person? They're asking me questions about this. I've got to jump in here and read this and want to learn how to speak Greek. And Pastor Jake, help me, I need a book. And because you're putting it into practice. Come on. Yeah. Maturity is in ministry. If you don't serve in the church, start serving. If you don't go to group, start going to group. Yeah. Perfection's not our goal. Progress is, though. So just start happening. But don't measure maturity by information. Measure maturity by application. And last one, and we'll, we'll end and go eat something good. Number three, we need to harness the power of us. We can catch more fish with a net than a line, right? We can catch more fish with a net than a line. Do you know it's so much easier to say, hey, a group of us are connecting. We're going to have some great food. And we're going to have a discussion. Would you come and be a part of that? Or, hey, we're going to come on Sunday, and you know, you're know you going to hear a guy preach, and he's funny sometimes. Sometimes he's just annoying, but you can come, and there's free coffee and donuts. So come on. You know, It's easier to catch fish with a net than a line, right? Uh, we, we, we're better together. We need to harness the power of us. We are the community of Christ. We are the living testament, the living letter, the living representation of, of how God wants it to work in relationship. We're a living testament of the gospel's power that people can see our community and see, man, there's something to the message of Christ. Our mission can only be accomplished together. Disciple making is a team sport. We're better together. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen.